Finally, the day of reckoning comes. It seems so far off as to be almost unbelievable. Time moves so slowly, but in retrospect, so swiftly, almost instantly. All of a sudden, the day arrives. All of a sudden, your name is called your name. You are conveyed into the presence of God, no friends, no family, just you and God, the God of judgment. All mankind, all of us, must stand and will stand at this terrifying place, the great and final white throne judgment. Revelation twenty eleven through 15. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Carnal man, with all of his disregard, his mocking, his neglect, and his blasphemies, will stand before the angry God of judgment and face terror upon terror. Jude 1, 14 through 16, And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lust, and their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. Would you like to know the standard by which God will judge you? The entire issue will revolve around what we have done regarding Jesus Christ, God's gift of salvation. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Have we repented of our sins, believing upon the blood of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin? Have we confessed him before men? Romans 10.10, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Jesus calls this place born again. John 3.3, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. At this place we are born a literal second time, this time of the Spirit of God. At this place called born again, we begin to follow Jesus Christ, and at the end of this marvelous journey awaits eternal life in Christ Jesus. At born again, one's name is recorded in God's book of birth certificates, the Lamb's book of life. At this place, everything changes, everything Second Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Have you been born again? 
Will you make your peace with God today? Will today be the day all your sin and shame are washed away and where all Satan's bondages are broken? The day of reckoning seems so far off, but it will arrive so swiftly, almost instantly, and your name will be called. You will stand all alone before the God of judgment, and a search will be made in the Lamb's book of life for your name. Do not procrastinate. Get your name recorded today. Click on the Further with Jesus. Do this right now. You will receive childlike instructions and instantly be welcomed into the kingdom of God. Do it now. We'll wait for you here. Now for today's subject. God said, Genesis 3.19, In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou returned unto the ground, for out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. God said, Ecclesiastes 3.14 and 15, I know that whatsoever God doeth, it shall be forever. Nothing can be put to it, nor anything taken from it. And God doeth it that men should fear before him. That which hath been is now, and that which is to be hath already been. And God requireth that which is past. God said, Galatians 6, verse 7, Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Man said, There is no God of the Bible. There is no judgment day. Science has all the answers I need. Knowledge is my God. Wait, what? What did the doctor say? I've got two weeks to live. God, save me. Help me. That's how it works, you know. Now the record. Welcome to God Said, Man Said, feature 949 that will once again certify the glorious, supernatural inerrancy of God's beautiful book. All of these marvelous features are archived here and text and streaming audio for your edification and as ammunition in the battle for the souls of men. Every Thursday Eve, God willing, they grow by one. Thank you for coming. May the face of our God shine upon you and your family with light and truth. After many years of participating in the great debate, I have come to the solid conclusion that Jesus Christ's portrayal of man's sinful condition in John chapter 3, 19 and 20 is precisely accurate. And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. And every one that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. Carnal men clamor for truth, for someone to prove that God is confident that it cannot be done. Yet when this proof is provided... They stop their ears or run to the champions of unbelief in search of a reasonable dodge. But the real truth is that their deeds are evil, and they are not willing to come to the light. The last thing carnal men want is truth. This is feature 29 in the God Said, Man Said, Jot and Tittle series, Let Your Faith Soar. God Proof number 215 Genesis 3, verse 19, In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. The scientific discoveries that certify the accuracy of the Genesis account are daunting, but there is more than science. 
Adam, whose name literally means red dirt, had the breath of life breathed up his nostrils. Adam is imprinted on the very historic memory of the peoples of the world. The accounts that followed did not come from God's first-hand account in the book of Genesis, but were verbally passed down from Adam to his direct offspring and then on to subsequent generations. The following excerpts are from Theodore H. Gaster's book, Myth, Legend, and Custom in the Old Testament. This fancy is, however, by no means confined to Scripture. The Mesopotamians, too, conceived man to have been fashioned in such a manner. In a cuneiform text from Asher, the earlier capital of Assyria, the goddess Aruru is said to have pinched him out of clay, and by virtue of this expertise it is the same goddess who likewise fashions the hero Enkidu in the Epic of Gilgamesh. A similar legend was current among the Greeks. Prometheus is said to have molded the first man out of clay mixed with the water of the river Panopeus uh, in Phocis, while in one of the mimes of Herodas, a pander bringing charges against the man who has broken into his brothel, observes tartly, he ought to know what kind of fellow he is and of what clay he is compounded. End of quote. The world is replete with the record of man's creation out of dirt. Accounts redound from extra-biblical societal records from Australia, Tahiti, Ellis Islands, New Hebrides, New Guinea, Mindano, India, Africa, the Pima Indians of Arizona, the Nascheck Indians of Louisiana, and more. God said dirt. Genesis 18:27. And Abraham answered and said, Behold now, I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord, which am but dust and ashes. God proof number 216. Science knows it as the first law of thermodynamics. Ecclesiastes 3, 14 and 50 frames it this way. I know that whatsoever God doeth, it shall be forever. Nothing can be put to it, nor anything taken from it. And God doeth it that men should fear before him. That which hath been is now, and that which is to be hath already been, and God requireth that which is past. Moncaster, in his book Dismantling Evolution, wrote this concerning the first law of thermodynamics. The law states that the total energy of a system plus its surroundings remains constant. It also states that energy and matter can neither be created nor destroyed, although matter can be converted to energy such as the burning of wood or the fission of radioactive materials, and vice versa. The first law, like all the other laws of thermodynamics, has been verified by repeated testing and experimentation, so there is virtually no doubt about its accuracy. End of quote. The following excerpt is from Dr. Henry Morris's book, The Biblical Basis for Modern Science. The first law, on the other hand, unequivocally stipulates that the universe could not have begun itself. The second law says there must have been a creation, but the first law says the universe could not create itself. The only way out of this impasse is to recognize that in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. Genesis 1.1 is the most profoundly scientific statement ever written with all the systems and processes of the cosmos uniting in asserting its truth. End of quote. Woe be to the blasphemers of evolution. 
Nehemiah 9, 6, Thou, even thou art the Lord alone, thou hast made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth, and all things that are therein, the seas, and all that is therein, and thou preservest them all, and the host of heaven worshipeth thee. God proof number 217, Psalms 102, 25 through 27. Of old hast thou laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of thy hands. They shall perish, but thou shalt endure. Yea, all of them shall wax old like a garment, as a vesture shalt thou change them, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years shalt have no end. When even an act of unbelief and disobedience embraced Satan's words over gods and ate from the forbidden tree, Adam following her evil leadership, immortality was lost. The pair were booted out of paradise and banned from the tree of life. At this place, the law of sin and death, what science knows as the second law of thermodynamics, began its reign. This law is also known as the law of entropy. Everything proceeds from order to disorder. Henry M. Morse, founder of the Institute for Creation Research, discusses in detail the laws of thermodynamics in his classic book, The Biblical Basis for Modern Science, excerpts follow. Morse expounds upon how the second law of thermodynamics supports the creation theory and the definitive beginning point of time. The difficulty of explaining such an orderly universe by natural processes is, of course, infinitely compounded by the fact that those processes, always constrained as they are by the second law of thermodynamics, are now causing the universe to proceed inexorably toward greater and greater degrees of disorder. Leading British astronomer Paul Davies has said, The greatest puzzle is where all the order in the universe came from originally. How did the cosmos get wound up if the second law of thermodynamics predicts asymmetric unwinding toward disorder? The great puzzle is easily resolved. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. These are the simplest, yet most profound words ever written, as well as probably the first words and certainly the truest words ever written. The entire universe and all of its laws and processes provide clear and unequivocal assurance of this foundational fact. The second law is expressed in a number of different ways, all of which are essentially equivalent to each other. Again, calling on Asimov, no creationist or theist, but an atheist and evolutionary humanist for an unbiased definition, he spoke of it this way. We can say no device can deliver work unless there is a difference in energy concentration with the system, no matter how much total energy is used. Asimov then went on to give another very picturesque definition. Another way of stating the second law, the universe is constantly getting more disorderly. Viewed that way, we can see the second law all about us. We have to work hard to straighten the room, but left to itself, it becomes a mess, again very quickly and very easily. Even if we never enter it, it becomes dusty and musty. How difficult to maintain houses and machinery and our own bodies in perfect working order. How easy to let them deteriorate. In fact, all we have to do is nothing. And everything deteriorates, collapses, breaks down, wears out all by itself. And that is what the second law is all about. End of quotes.
The second law of thermodynamics, which can simply be defined as order to disorder, life to death. The scriptures call this scientific law the law of sin and death. Sin equals death. Genesis 2.17, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. Romans 8.2, For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. Isaiah 51.6, Lift up your eyes to the heavens, and look upon the earth beneath. For the heavens shall vanish away like smoke, and the earth shall wax old like a garment, and they that dwell therein shall die in like manner. But my salvation shall be forever, and my righteousness shall not be abolished. God proof number 218, Exodus 24, 3 and 4. And Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the judgments, and all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words which the Lord has said we will do. And Moses wrote all the words of the Lord, and rose up early in the morning and builded an altar under the hill, and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. Moses penned the first five books of the Bible. However, he was neither the author, nor was it a message handed down from generation to generation. This was the direct word from God himself, whose recollection is without error. Exodus seventeen fourteen. And the Lord said unto Moses, Write this for a memorial in a book, and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua, for I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. God proof number 219, 2 Kings 18, 13, and 14. Now in the fourteenth year of King Hezekiah did Sennacherib, king of Assyria, come up against all the fenced cities of Judah and took them. And Hezekiah, king of Judah, sent to the king of Assyria to Lachish, saying, I have offended. Return from me. That which thou puttest on me will I bear. And the king of Assyria appointed unto Hezekiah, king of Judah, three hundred talents of silver and thirty talents of gold. Is God's word an accurate history book? The minimalists smugly say no, but archaeology and ancient non-biblical records, as you should expect, say very succinctly, yes, absolutely yes. In several books of the Bible, the story of the Israeli king Hezekiah and Judah's confrontation with the invading Assyrian king is recorded. The Assyrian king Sennacherib invaded Judah in the reign of Hezekiah. Even after Hezekiah satisfied the demand, Sennacherib continued to besiege Jerusalem, the capital of Judah, and the last city standing. The book Archaeology in the Bible History uh, records the following. When Sennacherib made his invasion into Judah, 701 B.C., he took many of the cities, 2 Kings 18 and 13, and finally threatened Jerusalem. Hezekiah then paid tribute to Sennacherib, including 30 talents of gold and 300 talents of silver. The inscriptions of Sennacherib tell us of this tribute in the following words. In addition to 30 talents of gold and 800 talents of silver, there were gems, antimony, jewels, large sandu stones, ivory, maple, boxwood, all kinds of valuable treasures, which he had them bring after me to Nineveh, my royal city. To pay tribute and to accept servitudes, he dispatched his messengers. 
The biblical and the Assyrian records agree exactly in the reference to 30 talents of gold, but the biblical figure of 300 talents of silver at first appears to be contradicted by the 800 talents of silver recorded in the Assyrian inscription. It is quite possible, however, that Sennacherib's counted some other payment or valuables in his figure of 800 talents of silver, which is more than 300 talents given in the Bible. It has also been subjected that the numbers were really equivalent to one another, the divergence being due to the textual corruption. Schrader explains it as due to the difference between the Babylonian and the Palestinian talent, end of quote. The Word of God declares that all the fenced cities were captured except for the prize, Jerusalem and her king. The following paragraph is again from archaeology and Bible history. To the rationalists, this story of the angels smiting of an army and causing a great king to return to his native land without capturing a city seems beyond the realm of historical possibility. However, confirmation of the fact that Sennacherib did not take Jerusalem was found in an inscription on a prism called the Taylor Cylinder, discovered at Cunyak, the site of ancient Nineveh, in 1830 by J.E. Taylor, the British vice consul at Barca. An almost identical inscription is found on the Oriental Institute Cylinder, purchased by the Oriental Institute of the University of Chicago in 1920. In the inscription, Sennacherib tells that he made other Palestinian cities yield, but when he comes to describe his campaign against Jerusalem, he fails to tell of the capture of that city and its king, Hezekiah. Rather, the text of the inscription tells of King Hezekiah in these words, As for himself, like a bird in a cage, in his royal city, Jerusalem, I shut him up. Since Sennacherib did not capture Jerusalem as indicated in the Bible, he made as good a story out of the siege as possible and reported that he had shut up poor Hezekiah like a bird in a cage. Actually, Hezekiah was reposing quite safely in his cage. End of quote. God proof number 220, Galatians 6, verse 7. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. It has never been done in the past. It is not being done in the present. It will never be done in the future. It is simply not possible. Again, Galatians 6, 7 reads, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. The reason for the impossibility is quite simple. Every commandment and precept of God's word has inherent within it a blessing or a curse. Because God's word is the perfect and inerrant truth, obeying it yields the blessing of doing the right thing. Because God's word is the perfect and inerrant truth, disobeying it yields the curse of doing the wrong thing. This principle plays out perfectly in the example of declining church attendance. Several excerpts and graphs from the God Said, Man Said feature and versely proportional staggering proof follow. Week after week, God Said, Man Said proves the Bible to be the inerrant living Word of God, the only divine authoritative text that defines who God is, how to be found pleasing unto Him, and by what standard He will judge. On the navigation bar on your left, we list four proof categories. One is titled God Said, Man Said, from which this website takes its name. 
hundreds of subjects are published in this proof category that basically bring to the visitor's attention what God said, contrasting it with what man said, and then bringing to light the results of man's disobedience. Carnal man, by holy command, must reap what he sows. It is impossible to escape the evil fruit. But what happens when church attendance goes south? The amazing truth is the results are inversely proportional. When church attendance drops point by point, the deadly fruit of disobeying God's commandment rises incrementally, all of which is the inescapable proof that God is. When church attendance decreases, a myriad of deadly plagues infiltrate the ranks of the unwashed. It is inversely proportional. Consider the charts that follow. First chart, children out of wedlock. Gallup uh, asked this question, do you happen to be a member of a church or a synagogue? The number dropped from 70% in 1992 to 55% in 2016. Under the heading Unmarried Mothers, Percentage of live births to unmarried mothers. The number of children born out of wedlock rose nearly 400% between 1970 and 2015. Next chart, drug poisoning deaths. Gallup asked this question. Americans identifying as Protestant, Catholic, or Jewish. The number dropped from 94% in 1948 to 62% in 2016. Now for drug poisonings. Drug poisonings per 100,000 in the USA. Overdose, uh, opioid overdose deaths were five times higher in 2016 than in 1999. Next chart. Sexually transmitted disease cases in the USA. Gallup asked this question. Do you happen to be a member of a church or synagogue? The number dropped from 70% in 1992 to 55% in 2016 under cases of chlamydia. Rated uh, uh, rates of reported cases of chlamydia in the USA. Chlamydia cases rose uh, per 100,000, went from 251.4 in 2000 to 528.8 in 2017, over 200% increase. Next chart, American heroin users, Gallup. Americans identifying as Protestant, Catholic, or Jewish. The number dropped from 94% in 1948 to 62% in 2016. The next column, heroin users. U uh, UN's World Drug Report, 2016 U.S. heroin users. Heroin users increased threefold between 2003 and 2014, reaching 1 million. These charts could go on page after page. But the point is obvious. Rejecting God's commandments churns out its deadly fruit at an ever-increasing and alarming rate, even inversely proportional to the decline in church attendance. It truly is a global field study, and the results clearly report that regular attendance of God's house is directly hooked to health, mental well-being, and prosperity, end of quotes. Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. God proof number 221, Psalms 25:14, The secret of the Lord, 
is with them that fear him, and he will show them his covenant. God has a secret, even a mystery, and those that fear him and seek him find it. To academia's sophisticates, the idea of God and his secret is ludicrous, but to the redeemed it is the marvel of all marvels. Romans 16, 25, and 26 speaks of this mystery. Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began, but now was made manifest and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the everlasting God, made known to all nations for the obedience of faith. Jesus Christ reveals God's mystery to the world for the first time when he speaks to Nicodemus in John 3, verse 3. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Imagine, as far as carnal mankind is concerned, with the exception of Adam, there are no sons of God in the Old Testament. Because of the fall in the Garden of Eden, we are spiritually stillborn, shapen in iniquity, born dead in trespasses and sins. We were all born as sons and daughters of Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so, thus the need to be born again, born a second time, this time of the Spirit of God. How glorious, then, is the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 12. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. 1 Timothy 3.16, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. To be born again is the greatest miracle a human can experience. But how can I know if I have been born again? Is it accomplished by joining the local church? The short answer is no. Being born again can only be accomplished through the new birth, and it is God that certifies the believer's bona fides. Romans eight fifteen and 16. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. The wisdom necessary to unlock the secret of God requires fear. Psalms 111, verse 10, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all they that do his commandments, his praise endureth forever. The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him. If you have yet to be born again, click on the further with Jesus for childlike instructions and immediate entry into the kingdom of God. God said, Genesis chapter 3, verse 19, In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. God said, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, 14 and 15, I know that whatsoever God doeth, it shall be forever. Nothing can be put to it, nor anything taken from it, and God doeth it that men should fear before him. That which hath been is now, and that which is to be hath already been, and God requireth that which is past. God said, Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, Be not deceived, God is not mocked, 
For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Man said, There is no God of the Bible. There is no judgment day. Science has all the answers that I need. Knowledge is my God. Wait, what? What did the doctor say? I've got two weeks to live? Oh, God, save me, help me. <laughs> That's it. Now you have the record.